This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. Welcome to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and each week I'm joined by insightful guests to talk about their written work and how the gospel applies to all of life. Together, we keep looking until we see God working. Wherever you're listening, welcome. I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Bound featuring... Let's talk. I'm Colin Hansen. I'm the host of Gospel Bound, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Melissa Kruger, one of the hosts of Let's Talk. You're listening to a bonus season end episode, and we wanted to take you behind the scenes, look back on the big stories and trends of the year of our Lord, 2022, and thank you for listening and encouraging us in this work. Hey, Colin. Hey, hey. Good to be back. <laughs> it was a lot of fun last year. I don't think a lot of people realize the episode last year that we recorded together, the most downloaded ever in the history of Gospel Bound. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. It's all it's all it, you, Melissa. If, yeah, oh, no. If people could just realize how much we talk together. That's true. It's, somebody could just record our conversations all the time. This is basically what it is. That's true. <laughs> Colin and Melissa, regular conversation. But it's super fun to be here. And um, a lot's happened since our last time together. Um, and we'll jump in. And you've written a great article, Top 10 Theological Stories for this year. I mean, there are certain things I don't think when I, when I was looking at your article, I was like, wow, a year ago, we never could have imagined some of these things. Um, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But you have something I'm super excited about coming out in the next year. Um, can you tell us about the project that you've been working on? Well, there it is. Thanks, Melissa. I know. For anyone watching on video. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Uh, you know, as I was as I was working on this book, Melissa, I, I thought about... Uh, the question that you get asked a lot as an author, how long have you been doing this? And I thought, well, in some ways, three years, really busily. <laughs> but then in many ways, for 12 years, uh, 15, uh, 12 years working at the Gospel Coalition, uh, which Tim had co-founded, 15 years since I've known Tim uh, at the beginning of the Gospel Coalition when I was still working at Christianity Today. But in a lot of ways, been working on on this project for uh, for 20 years uh, since I've been been in journalism and, and studying evangelical history. And so um, I mean, I'm eager for people to see this book. I, I may even have copies early January, February 7th is the pub date on the book. Um, I think a lot of people are going to assume, Melissa, that it's a that it's a biography, and it is in some ways, but it's not like a traditional biography. Um, First of all, Tim's still around and he's doing great work. Uh, the latest on his on his health has been been very positive with his pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Uh, second, it's not a critical biography um, because I'm close with Tim. I admire Tim. I appreciate Tim. I work with Tim, and so um, 
and so it's it's not it's not that kind of thing. It's also not primarily a narrative of his of his life. Uh, Tim does not love to speak about himself. Um, that's one of the reasons I think people are going to find the book to be so fascinating. I had a friend um, read the first three chapters, which, by the way, if you pre-order the book, uh, go to timothykellerbook.com. Give us that pre-order information. We will send you uh, the first three chapters of the book right now. You can listen right now. We'll send you a bunch of other bonus content. In fact, um, a list that Tim put together of the most important books written in his lifetime, not by him, by other people. And uh, I also put together a list of the top books that uh, will help you to understand Tim. Because that's a really a lot of what the what the book is focused on. But anyway, I had a I had a friend who started to read the first three chapters, and she made a comment about not not knowing a lot about Tim's home life growing up. And well, it wasn't Tim who talked to me about that. It was Tim's sister who talked with me about that. And that's really what the book is a lot of. It's talking with the best man at Tim's uh, Tim and Kathy's wedding. Uh, who also was Tim's best friend in college, who was who was there the night that Tim became a Christian. He'd been living this kind of double life as he was exploring um, his, his faith and trying to figure things out. This guy's birthday was when um, he wakes up and Tim is is lying like on the floor at the foot of the bed. His le- he's just been transformed physically. You could tell that he'd been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So just talking with people like that, or just a, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I was able to get thanks to the permission Tim and Kathy gave, not just to me, but to all of their friends to talk to me. So in that sense, you. I mean, I did do many hours of interviews with Tim, but I think what I like about the project so much, Melissa, is that it was based off talking with other people about Tim and Kathy, who, as you know, is a powerhouse unto herself. What I love about that is it seems to embody the whole notion of self-forgetfulness yeah, that we true. all love <laughs> from Tim Keller. True. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, and so it's almost like you had to ask other people because he's just not thinking about about himself all the time and doesn't want to talk about what he thinks about everything. And so I kind of love that that's part of this book that you had to actually go to other sources. I was doing the audio book and there's a very emotional part of the book um, where we, we learn about Tim's, um, he had a younger sister, uh, has a younger sister and had a younger brother uh, who died in the 1990s, 1998 and died of AIDS. And um, that's a very emotional part. Uh, just even reading through the book. And so there'll be a lot that people will learn, not just about Tim and Kathy's lives. Um, I love about Kathy that she was uh, one of the last people to correspond with C.S. Lewis um, as a as a preteen. Uh, <laughs> like I said, she's a powerhouse unto herself. So, Eager, that'll be a, a fun thing. Not quite ready for Christmas, unless you want to go ahead and, and pre-order that book and tell people what's going to be coming to them in, uh, in early February. Uh, Lord willing. So uh, thanks to my friends at uh, Zonovan Reflective for all their great work on that. Uh, Melissa, you're always up to a lot. Uh, I would love to know how many years in a row you've published a book at this point um, of a lot of different varieties. You're always, you've got one out, you've got one that you're thinking about, you've got one that you're, um, you know, long, you're just kind of stewing around in your head. And we'll talk about several of those. But I want to talk about a couple things in particular, looking back on this last year, one a book, uh, His Grace is Enough, another one of your children's books. And then I'd just love to hear more about 
as you think back to the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference in 2022, just some of your some of your favorite memories and, and what you've seen the Lord do through that book and, and through that event. Yeah, yeah, they came out the same month. You know, all, it feels like all women's books now come out in even years. Um, so they can come out for, right for our conference that you plan. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, the conference was really amazing. I'm so thankful. I mean, to get to see all these women gathered around um, God's word, um, just getting to sing together. It, it's something that's really difficult to describe um, how wonderful it is. It feels like a little foretastes i know people say this all the time a little foretaste of heaven and what well, our be first it's our first in-person normal women's gathering since 2018 correct yes there were no masks yeah oh, that was mm, great that was there were great. no um awkward dismissals because we had to dismiss everyone in yeah. like groups of like 200 oh i forgot about that with all the yeah. different lights that would flash yeah, up front to tell you really when you could dismiss fun. yeah um so i'm super it was just great yeah I, what i love about it is i have friends from kind of my real life in charlotte who were there and then i have friends from all over the country who we've gotten to know through ministry connections and it's it's pretty beautiful to get to see and well, that's the taste of heaven right yeah it's because yeah. it's so many of those friends from so many different walks of life it's that kind of spiritual yeah. reunion yeah and the and the and the main event is jesus yeah, yeah i mean that's what i love it's Amen. it's we it's a conference that really we try to focus on God's word, not not the the people are there delivering it up in in certain ways, but it's really let's look at Jesus in a in a new way. And what I loved about this conference, we were in the Old Testament, but always looking at Jesus. How how is he the rock from which the water poured out? You know how how is he symbolizing the ark of our salvation? You know all of these images that we have in the Old Testament that actually point us to Christ. And we ended with that. I love the story of David and Mephibosheth and this beautiful um, invitation to the king's table. And so it was great. There were so, And there was so many fun things. It wasn't just about remembering our joy. We got to do this project about sharing the joy. And we just found out we were just talking a few minutes ago on our team call about um, a new Ukrainian and Russian website that came out of that conference to bring articles and gospel messages to people all over the world. So, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing what we get to do. I'm, I'm pretty thankful about that. What about the book? Children's book? Oh, yeah. And then um, I'm excited. I had a new kid's book come out called His Grace is Enough. And honestly, I I have to say, I love these little kids book with a special place in my heart. Um, this one is really written. I've been writing kids books as my kids have actually been aging. And so this one is trying to get the message of of what grace is to young kids. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm picturing them in a college dorm room, maybe thinking, I don't know if his grace is enough for me. I, I've done, I've made all the wrong choices. I've done all the things that people warn me not to do. And now I find my play myself in the pit of my own making. And I just wanted to write a book that hopefully I hoped would ring in their minds when they're two and come back maybe when they're 22 to remind them that his grace is enough. It's so big and so free. His grace is enough for both you and for me. So it was like, it was that, that, that desire to write children's books that will ring in our hearts when we're older. 
That's my that's my hope. And to give parents words of, to know how to talk about grace. It's kind of a hard concept. Um, does that mean that you're not going to get in trouble if you do wrong things <laughs> in my house? You know, and so to try to help kids um, get, get an understanding of what grace is and start those conversations between parents and kids. But it's a real joy to get to do. So that was, that was some of the stuff that came out in our personal lives in 2022, but let's move in um, to the top 10 theological stories of 2022. There's an article at TGC on this that everybody can go access. I highly encourage you to go read it. It's excellent. It really is interesting to look back at the past year and think about it in terms of what God is doing in the world. Um, But I want to start with, um, really looking at the world and some difficult stories that have happened in the past year that honestly, I don't think um, we could have imagined, you know, even when we look back that this first one, especially this SBC report um, that came out, I was pretty shocked by it. I, you know, I don't know how you felt about it. I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked by the report. I guess that's the best way to say it. And the cover up and all the things that had happened in this past year. So two, your, your, two of your top 10 stories um, deal with basically actual physical abuse, I mean, sexual abuse in the church and spiritual abuse in the church. Um, so as you did these stories and thought about this year, you know, how do we as believers in the pew respond wisely And biblically, when we hear of these church leaders maybe failing to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, you know, I mean, there's this exposure that happens, but we're sitting in the pew and we hear these stories. And how are you seeing when the church at large respond to these stories? How do we as individuals in the pew respond to these stories? You know, Melissa, I think about the the mass shootings, which is another one of my top 10 uh, article, uh, top 10 theology stories of this last year. And I think we we recognize that we, in some ways, we we do have more mass shootings. There's also more police brutality in some ways, at least our perception of it. But so much of these things is filtered through our now exposure to these things in new ways. I don't think, Melissa, we would could really afford to be naive right now about how much these things have happened in the past. Um, How many women have suffered in small and large and ultimate ways from abuse? How many children have been abused? That this is not something that's unique to the Southern Baptist Convention or to the Roman Catholic Church or to the Boy Scouts or to whoever, but a lot of it was simply not known. Uh, it, it was not exposed. There were not places for articles to be written and podcasts to be recorded and Twitter threads to have been published from from victims and and voices that had been uh, overlooked and ignored and and shut out by gatekeepers in the past. We we know there have always been abusive pastors, but there haven't necessarily been the means to be able to expose them uh the investigations to be able to look into them the um the the places where people could turn to say oh wow i I didn't i didn't realize didn't realize what was happening or that i wasn't the only one it's been other people as well and so uh with our colleague sarah zylstra she and i work 
a lot together on positive stories. But you know, this last year, we looked on looked at women and uh, young women, especially in social media. We're looking at young men now in video games. And what it comes back to so often, Melissa, is we're just living out the consequences of the internet revolution. And the internet revolution applied to abuse is that I don't or or, or um, abuse or especially police brutality. I don't know that we necessarily have more of it now. In some ways, we probably have less of it now, but we have a much heightened awareness of what is happening and therefore a greater sensitivity in a, in a positive way toward tolerating it. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's going to be a big story. A lot of the times, well, it's a year to year, there's a common theme in my stories because the major things don't really change necessarily year to year. So if you told me next year, there's going to be another major abuse scandal in the news, I would say, yeah, because we're living through a reckoning that is enabled in part by the multiplicity, endless multiplicity of voices uh, that the internet allows um, to be able to speak out. Um, so that's a lot of what I thought about um, about the abuse questions this last year. Because keep in mind, the Southern Baptist Convention, there was no chance the leaders wanted to voluntarily, um, you know, it disclosed the fact that they had covered up all these cases. But it came twofold. A few years ago, of course, it came because of the Houston Chronicle, kind of old school, traditional journalistic investigation. But the only reason that it was demanded was because of essentially a social media or it was was required was a social media campaign that was largely Twitter based. Otherwise, this report never would have been produced. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think it's interesting sometimes in life. Um, it, it's it's almost like I forget to read certain parts of the Bible. You know, it, it's kind of like we're always surprised by suffering. Yeah, but Jesus never promised a life free of suffering, but somehow it gets in our head um, a bit of a wrong prosperity gospel. And I think we also get into a little bit of a, I, I don't know if the right term is idolization of the church, but Jesus, you know, Peter, Paul, they all warned that there were going to be fierce wolves who would come in and devour the flock. I mean, they were saying this in the first century, warning the church to be on their guard. And I think I think it can be really easy with church leaders to put our guards down because we rightly respect and admire and love them. Um, and, and that's why in some ways this may be more painful because we think this is supposed to be a safe place. And it, it's just a good reminder, I think, to, to be sober, um, not to be overly fearful, but to be sober in, in our assessment of any church setting, um, to just be aware of what could be going on. There's a lot of talk, Melissa, about the church as a family. And I love and I appreciate that. And I think we see theologically and biblically the way that works out with brothers and sisters. But what happens when you get hurt in the family? Um, it's as bad as it gets. And and when you combine that family with the very things of life and death, of eternity, of heaven and hell, um, there's no there's no hurt. Um, it goes quite so deep um, as church hurt. And so we're just – we're. It's not that it's new, but what's new is that we know a lot more about it. And hopefully, uh, through books like Mike Kruger's new Bully Pulpit, a recent award winner for the Gospel Coalition Book Awards, uh, that we'll be more vigilant about uh, not only forsaking those temptations ourselves as church leaders, 
uh, but also holding one another and our leaders accountable. And I do think there's an encouragement in the fact that if Jesus knew this was going to be part of our story, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the church. I mean, it doesn't mean the church itself is a bad institution. It means there are individuals who use the goodness of the church for evil ends. But the Lord will expose them. And I think that's what I feel encouraged by, that He he's constantly refining his church. And he loves the church. And we can love the church unabashedly and unashamedly and still say, hey, we need to be aware as we're walking in the doors that that these things can happen. Um, and I think I think the thing we saw in the world, it's not just our churches, you know, that um, we may be sometimes more surprised by our churches having issues. But as we look around the world, um, I think we're involved in conflicts that we couldn't have imagined in 2021. If you had told me that um, Russia was going to invade Ukraine. I would have been like, uh, you're really pessimistic, Colin. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking Wouldn't about? Wouldn't be the first time you said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I would be like, Colin, you know, <laughs> calling, calling out the hard things, but it's yeah. it's pretty shocking. I spent a summer in in Kiev um, in '94. It was three years after um, Ukraine had become independent. When I think about that, like it, it's pretty shocking. And I can remember we celebrated the 4th of July there and we had a big 4th of July party. It was kind of a cultural exchange. Um, our Ukrainian roommates had this big party with us. And one of my friends, his, his Ukrainian roommate woke up that morning and said, congratulations on your country's independence. He said it so seriously. And, you know, it really never struck me until this how new their independence was at that time and how much they treasured it as a people. And now we're seeing these horrific effects of that being called into question this whole year as they've been attacked and, you know, just war is awful. And we've seen that. We also are seeing um, China seeming to grow increasingly authoritarian um, in, in their regime's, policies and behaviors towards Taiwan and just their COVID policy. And then we see Iran and all that has erupted in the past few months. Um, how do you look at these conflicts? Um, how do you see these things affecting the church at large? And do you see any signs of gospel hope? I mean, because obviously we see the bad of these conflicts, but have you heard any reports um coming out of the church moving forward, the gospel advancing in the midst of these worldly conflicts that feel pretty awful to think about and read about in the news. Yeah, you and I both, um, we grew up through the, what was described as the end of history. I don't know if you remember, remember that era, the end of history. Um, and I think when people describe, that's you know what people describe as the end of the Soviet Union is this uh, hegemony of the West. And to us, it can be very confusing, but to go back, you had this whole era of seemingly never-ending conflict um, between democracy and authoritarianism, fascism, communism, all of this, these ideological and, and massive uh, conflagrations that engulfed the entire world and killed hundreds of millions of people. And then the fall of the Soviet Union, which was utterly shocking. I don't think we could possibly recall. I mean, put ourselves in that position of how shocking that was. 
Well, Melissa, now you can mark 2022 as the year that history began again. <laughs> um, the end of history ended. Um, you know, what I find encouragement, though, in each of these different situations, a little bit different. What we know from history is that many times when a powerful leader appears to be at his zenith, he's actually about to face his downfall. And I know World War II is not a paradigm for everything. Uh, Vladimir Putin has apparently decided to take some sort of incredibly twisted interpretation of World War II as his justification for invading Ukraine. But it was precisely an invasion of that part of Eastern Europe into Asia that led to Hitler's downfall in World War II. And I think the most likely outcome of this ultimately is a weakened, destabilized Russia, even if they were to somehow still prevail. Um, he has been exposed. And and that is, and, and not only that, there's a reason this is a, a theological story. It's because of the tremendous implications. It's fascinating to me, Melissa, that we're talking about Christian nationalism in the United States against the backdrop of a state church that is thoroughly corrupt in Russia by its proximity to political power. Um, so that's Russia's situation. Uh, to go over to China, I, one of my... One of my friends, she and I started a, a Christian magazine together in college. She and her husband and her family are missionaries in Taiwan. She wrote for us about that. Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest about this one, Melissa. I don't, I haven't heard a lot of hope coming out of China. Um, the positive that I'm seeing is that China has just recently realized that they can't have their zero COVID policy forever. But that means that huge waves of COVID are about to be unleashed in China, its original home. It's going to bring incredible suffering. And related to, and it's already brought economic devastation, and it's become a pretext for cracking down on the church. And so um, uh, Hannah Nation did an interview with me this, this year on Gospel Bound. She's done just amazing work bringing the voices out of the Chinese house church in particular. But I, I haven't heard a lot of great um, positive news on the shutdown uh, from COVID and this broader consolidation of power under the current president has been unfortunate and extreme. And the last one, though, in Iran, we can come back again and I think perhaps see some hope. Uh, Iran has been uh, no stranger to revolution over the years, but we have not ever before seen an Iran with the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. So it'll be fascinating to see, Melissa, how that dynamic interplays with the broader kind of women's rights, human rights um, dimension, which is, historically speaking, only because of Christianity. It doesn't come from Islam. Uh, so it's only because of Christianity, and yet often does take on a kind of secular flavor. So it'll be interesting to see between, uh, an author between a theocratic Islamic state a growing underground evangelical movement pressure on women's and human rights um i don't know i mean i would be not surprised at all if this ends up back in my top 10 list for 2023 it's pretty sobering when you look at the world i mean you i think there was something about the russian ukraine conflict that just made you realize again the world can turn you know on a dime if we didn't learn that from covid 
I mean, the whole world shut down and now here these conflict erupt and, um, and, and if, I really don't know how people make it who don't believe in a God who's reigning over all things, uh, because we know he holds all these things and um, that the end is secure, even though we don't know what means will come about to bring forth um, his good intentions in, in the long run. Um, when you just look at it, it does seem to be a bit of a mess and it's not just the world out there. I mean, when we come yeah, back to the States and back to America. Um, we look around and I've noticed myself, this is kind of one of those odd things. I do not think of myself as an overly anxious or paranoid person, but I was walking. Um, where was I walking the other day? I was walking through somewhere. I don't know if it's the mall or something thinking, how would I escape if a gunman came in this, in, in this situation? And that is just a thought that I never had before, you know, I, you, we just all go about our days, but I remember just having a thought, where's the exit door, you know, and, and this is a new day in America for us. We're dealing with mass shootings. It does seem to be at a greater level. I don't know the statistics, so I, I could, we're definitely more aware of it than ever before. Oh, we definitely, I mean, in, in fact, it's gotten so bad, Melissa, that many, if not most of the mass shootings today, we don't even hear about anymore um it's just like three people killed over here at a workplace five people killed over here at a public place some of them still penetrate our consciousness because of the time of the year the location for example the highland park uh, shooting because it's a fourth of july parade um but if you look at a list melissa it is it's really discouraging and and sometimes you get perspective from your international friends who are legitimately afraid to visit the United States because of this. And you, you kind of laugh at them because in part you're thinking, I mean, this is a very large country. Um, there could be a lot of bad things happening in this country that don't affect you. But Melissa, it's the randomness and the frequency of it. It's the fact that there's no predictable pattern. A lot of violent crime in this country is concentrated in certain geographic areas but that is not the case with the mass shootings and there doesn't appear to be a rhyme or reason we we would love for there to be some sort of thing we if we had someone to blame if we had somewhere to turn but that's what makes it so difficult Melissa we don't know there doesn't appear to be anything. We, we could say, well, it, we just don't cover them. Well, yes, it does appear that some of them want attention, but a lot of the times these are just, just are very lost, lost people. But even, um, I don't, I don't want to draw undue attention to this, but one of the shooters um, had spent time recently, regularly, in a church that I know. Um, and then killed a bunch of people right near that church. I mean, I think you've done a good job already just in this conversation, Melissa. Why don't we talk about these things, bringing them back to spiritual realities. And I think that's what we need because ultimately the spiritual reality is that whatever we want to think, this is a dark world that is, that is captive in so many ways to Satan and to sin. But that the consistent testimony of scripture 
and of God's work throughout history is that the light shines in the darkness and God is doing something that you don't even expect. And like you said the last time, I don't know how you do this without, I just think about my kids in school, like what hope do I have except that I can trust God no matter what happens because Melissa, I can't guarantee they're going to be safe. Now, of course, we know that's not true of any time, but but that's sort of the, the terrorism of mass shootings is that it could be anyone, anywhere, at any time. Yes. Yes. And it's the interesting fact of the Internet, too, because it's not we know about things in ways that maybe we wouldn't have known about them. These probably would have made it to the surface, but I even think of I mean, we just heard the little story, the story of the little girl with the FedEx delivery and she was taking, you know, these things as parents, you know, they raise us to feel like, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen? And there, the, the reality is, you know, like, just like you said, we can't stop going to stores so that we won't ever engage a shooter. We can't stop going to parades. We, we live and we trust the Lord and we walk in faith um, on these things. But I do think it's interesting that this this arises alongside um, a suicide rate between the teens. That's nearly the highest um, I think it's ever been. T- teenage suicide is the second leading cause of death right now for teens. Um, there's this rising hopelessness. And some of the books I've been researching, this is the most unchurched generation in American history. Um, and we're seeing all this, you know, it's, it's these mass shootings. A lot of them are done by people in that teenage, early 20, you know, age group, like a lot of what we're seeing. And so there seems to be a pervasive hopelessness. So let me ask you this question. How do you think culture is trying to answer that question? We have an answer in the church. Yeah. I mean, I look at it I'm like, um, people are lost and they, they need Jesus. How do you see culture trying to answer the question why are so many people hopeless and lost like there's the band-aid approach which says hey let's work on gun control we've had a debate about that at tgc that's a good debate to have i'm yeah but it's assessing how do we keep the gun out of someone's hands i also want to discuss how do we prevent someone from wanting to take a gun and kill people you know, like how how do we address that issue both need to be addressed for sure um but how do we address how do you think culture is trying to address that question of why are our teens so desperately hopeless right now? Well, you you mentioned that, or we discussed earlier, that there's no rhyme or reason to these shootings, but I guess that's not entirely accurate. It's always men, and they're almost always young. So that's not a coincidence. This is not, this is not a bunch of 80-year-old grandmothers out there doing this. So there must be something to that. Whatever that is, it is gendered and it is age segmented. Um, and so I think, Melissa, the way sort of non-Christians are trying to approach it is through, um, there's a group in in my in my hometown here where they're trying to help we we have a lot of problems with drug abuse alcohol abuse suicide um in an affluent successful setting and there's a lot of discussion about mental health um a lot of uh, discussion of how to 
how to identify and to help other people, a lot of warnings about abuse, a lot of discussions about wise practices with social media. So I would say for Christians, probably a lot of that stuff is perfectly helpful. But I don't think it it it's it, it remains at a level that is above the underlying spiritual uh, realities. It, it seems to be on a naturalistic plane. And I will say that I at least would appreciate I at least appreciate people and communities that are trying to address it at that level, as opposed to most of what I see, which is simply. I just blame the people that I already hate about everything else, um, the political approach that you described earlier. So um, that part seems to go absolutely nowhere. It doesn't even seem to be about the problem, but just exploiting the problem to try to score political points. So I think we do need more attention to uh, to mental health, but ultimately I just I don't see a an ultimate solution unless we're recognizing I guess I wonder how much more evidence do we need of the pervasiveness of sin and evil and Satan because I don't know that there's any explanation except demonic activity from an enemy who seeks to devour and destroy us and um, in, in a fallen world I, I don't think we need to I don't think we need to manufacture more uh, complicated solutions than that. And this, this is since our ancestors probably were wiser. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, some of the research I've been doing um, showed one study, and this came out of the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. And it actually showed that children and adolescents who um, regularly attended religious services were 18% more happy on a on a general basis, that was the term term they used. Um, they were twenty nine percent more likely to volunteer in their communities, and thirty three percent less likely to use illicit drugs. And I find things like that, you know, that the world is discovering um, that goes in alignment with the scriptures. Um, it, it's it's wonderful when you actually see the research being done because it gives me encouragement as a Christian parent. Like one of the one of the great things I can do for my child's mental health is simply to take them to church every week. I mean, it doesn't mean that Christians aren't depressed. Of course they are. But it's just when you're looking at the things to do. I mean, you could also say exercise is great for mental health. You know, there are lots of things that are really positive for um, helping our children and society. But it's really um, interesting when even studies are showing involvement in the church is really good, good for teens. So for any parent whose teen is struggling to go to church and doesn't want to go, we can say, no, actually, this is really good for you <laughs> in, in a lot more ways than just me telling you. Yeah, if you're uh, if your teen has descended into a dark and insular world that seems to revolve entirely around the internet keep fighting for them um keep fighting for them because if nothing else that in-person socialization seems to make a big difference and especially if it's in a community of ultimate purpose of ultimate hope of of transformation of spiritual power of love from other people who care for them. Um, where else is a teen supposed to get that? 
or a young, a young man. Where else is a young man supposed to find that? Um, and I think it's one reason why young men have always been drawn towards some bad things and bad movements because unless they're called to higher spiritual pursuits and pouring up themselves for others, they tend to direct their energies toward fighting other people. Um, so that, yeah, absolutely. The church has a, has a vital role to play. Yeah. Yeah. And in this, um, world, we're also seeing one of your other stories was something I think that's probably particularly difficult for parents. I mean, in one sense, you bring up kind of the political problems that we're experiencing with transgender ideology, especially with female sports. We've seen that kind of where is this going and how far can it go question is definitely coming up. But then at the same time, you report on two historically Christian universities who are have abandoned the biblical historical biblical sexual ethic. So um, we're seeing that some of the worldly ideologies that are kind of exploding rapidly. I mean, you know, I don't think 20 years ago we could have imagined having a conversation where gender assignment surgery is a normal a normative discussion. Um, and and here here yet yeah, here we are. Um, but it's really happening a lot for parents as they have to navigate waters in our public schools that are teaching, you know, hey, you get to decide your gender pronoun. Are you a they or them or he or she? You know, all these different. I can't even keep track of all the options. It's kind of overwhelming. Um, and so how would you encourage Christian parents? Because we. We want to be involved in the world around us and the culture around us. How do we navigate these debates? Because it's not just debates out there. I mean, they're very personal to most of us, um, especially as we see our children being impacted by them. And you know, you've got kids going into school. I'm I'm on the other side um, where I, you know, my kids are kind of walking into co- college, but that's very different than walking into kindergarten right now. I feel like the changes between my first child going to kindergarten and your first child going to kindergarten are pretty shocking. Um, and so how as how as parents, Christian parents, do we navigate these discussions when they, they really do affect our daily life with our kids? By far the most helpful thing I have read on this topic was published by the Gospel Coalition this year uh, called Transformation of a Transgender Teen. It was an article written by Sarah Zalstra. You go ahead and find that. And what the what uh, the pastor, Sam Ferguson, in Washington, D.C., what he had reflected on in that article is the need for parents to, to love their children in truth. That compromising on truth for the sake of love only makes the entire situation more difficult the longer it goes. Now, as our children get over, obviously we don't we don't control them. Even when they're under our own household, like we don't control them. That's not our job as parents is to control them in that sense. We can influence, we can exercise authority over them, and that is significant, but ultimately we, we don't control their minds. We don't control their wills. Um, And that's part of what makes parenting so frustrating (laughs) there. But we can uphold truth. We can refuse to compromise with truth as the world tells us that we must conform to them for the sake of love. 
And I think what we're seeing, Melissa, between these um, Christian colleges, universities that are moving away uh, from that historic biblical teaching is the confluence of the dominant expressive individualistic perspective, which is I have my truth and everybody else's job is to affirm me. But in the trans issue in particular, it's running up against what Jonathan Haidt has, the social psychologist Jonathan Haidt at New York University has dubbed moral foundations theory. And I think this is perfectly consistent for what our understanding as Christians. He's not a Christian, but I think it's perfectly consistent for us. And he recognizes that there are all these different touch points of care and harm and authority and uh, uh, religiosity or just um, sanctity. And what you see with the trans issue is different from homosexuality. So homosexuality, more or less for most people, unfortunately, outside the church, and even sometimes inside the church, they see it as a simple matter of freedom, freedom and autonomy. And what's more valuable in American culture than freedom and autonomy? The thing about the trans issue, though, is that it runs into a lot of other questions because, first of all, there's a question of harm. The dominant moral ethic is just do no harm. Well, is it harmful to do gender reassignment surgery and puberty blockers on a preteen or a young teen? Um, There are plenty of people on the other side of it who've experienced this who do see it as harm. So there's a physical harm involved in this, or at least an irreversible physical transformation that that, that is very much in dispute. And in fact, we're seeing a lot of changes, especially in the UK, backing off a lot of those treatments. So there's that one. There's also the authority question for parents. Can a school and teachers and counselors at a school actually guide my child toward these physical transformations that can never be reversed without my knowledge or against my opposition as a parent. I think that's one of the transformations that you're talking about, Melissa, in school has happened there. So there's that one. And then there's another one, the third one, Melissa, and that is fairness. Is it fair for a man who now says that he is a woman to compete against other women. Um, now, some, that can look one way, the way that it did with NCAA swimming this last year. Thankfully, swimming's not a sport where the men and women would have to physically engage with one another. You know, you're competing side to side with each other. But you do, so there is that, but there's still the broader question of how is this fair? But then now you're also seeing um, the harm principle in the UK because these men who are identifying as women are being placed in shelters with battered women. And of course, what's happening, you're seeing those men who are identifying as women abuse women there. Uh, And these are supposed to be women-specific shelters designed to protect them from the harm of men. So this situation is more complicated than what we've seen before. And I actually, Melissa, have some hope that as as these different moral foundations are being covered, that we're going to see some sensibility return to this conversation to recognize that merely affirming everyone's individual desire to do or be whatever they want 
actually has social implications for all of us. It's never a private decision. So I have hope that that situation might actually reverse. Yeah. The further you get away from actual truth, like you, you begin to lose all meaning of anything. Yeah. If I can call night, day and day, night, because that's my personal preference. How do we even have a conversation at some level? You just start losing the ability. You know, you, you realize we have to have foundations for truth. And um, thankfully, the Bible gives us these and it's a good thing. But I remember the first time I walked in with my child, maybe it was around 13 or 14. And my child had to give me permission to be in the doctor's office. Go, you know, and this is, I, I was like, and she was, she was confused. She's like, what do you mean I have to give my mom permission to come into the, she didn't want to go to the doctor's office without me. But yeah, you know, so we're, we're societally, we're setting up some things um, that are pretty just uncomfortable, even to our kids. Yeah. I mean, they could, she couldn't imagine why she wouldn't want to be in the doctor's office with me, but we all can, we know where, where this is coming from. And it really leads us to our last question I want to talk about from the top 10 theology stories of the year. And um, because most of them were extremely heavy, I mean, to be quite honest, um, they, they, they show the need of the gospel um, for the light to conquer the darkness. But one, I did feel like there was a ray of light and that was the Dobbs decision that came out this year. Can you tell us a little bit about the story, the importance of this ruling and maybe some of the impact we're already seeing? Yeah, simply put, it's the reversal of Roe v. Wade. I mean, this is this is 50 years of of one of the most unjust, inexplicable decisions and consequential decisions in Supreme Court history being overturned. Um, and so, some of the some of the results we've already seen. I've seen reports anywhere from about seven to nine percent reduction in abortions, primarily because of the states that had abortion bans already on the books from pre Roe. Uh, or especially those that had enacted them on the event of Rose being overturned or that enacted them quickly, uh, anywhere from near total bans to um, heartbeat bills to, um, you know, certain restrictions on the timing of the abortion. So it seems that it's a good thing when an unjust decision has been overturned, number one. Number two, it's a good thing that we're seeing a reduction in abortions. I do have to issue a caveat, and that is that the, um, the, the, the forces of evil are not dormant. And uh, what you're seeing now has been underway for a little while, but a massive effort uh, to strategically build abortion clinics in states of near proximity to states that do not allow abortion especially we're seeing a lot of that from illinois and related to that is the broader challenge of many states have responded to the dobbs decision by radically liberalizing their abortion laws we're saying no restrictions state financing all the way until that baby's head is out of the womb at 40 weeks um, that is evil, it's horrifying, it's scary, and it's just a, once again, a reminder, keep praying, keep fighting, keep advocating for these women who, in many cases, feel scared, trapped, um, and then, and, and also, ultimately, for those children. 
I think, Melissa, one of the things that scares me the most, um, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, is that um, I don't know if I could say most, but much of what I've read on this topic lately has focused on the number that the the demographic of women getting abortions is women who already have children. That's what scares me. I think the most. Now, again, I understand at a human level what's going on. They feel I can't handle another child. I can't afford it. I don't have the time. I don't have the child care. But Melissa, this just guts me. And first of all, I mean, I you don't ever seem to see a man involved, like a man there, a father. I mean, there doesn't appear to almost ever be a father. So I don't want to overlook that part right there. But it just guts me to know that these are that these women they have children they've been pregnant they've delivered babies they've seen it the the ultrasounds and still they go for an abortion yeah yeah it's actually where <sighs> i think hurts. the legality of something does affect our understanding of what we're doing yes yes good you point. know and i i am very happy for yeah because we, we've had this whole campaign i think of changing hearts and minds about abortion and i'm kind of like the law actually matters yeah it does we say something's illegal it does not let us off the hook it says our culture doesn't think this is okay and i think for a lot of women i think their hearts are telling them it's not okay i think their inner you know they're and i think our country has told them it's okay you need to do what's best for you and 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 please hear we we know these are awful situations women find themselves in at times because they are alone. They are, um, they have no idea what to do. And our culture has said, rather than say, we will support you and we will help you. We have said, yeah, just let's get rid of this problem. So what we have is a culture of death, not just individuals choosing it. And I think that's yeah a huge problem. And I think this decision does at least allow us to say, we want to move toward a culture of life. Um, this year will be 50 years, um, the anniversary. I mean, it's, you know, and it's wonderful to be able to say at least Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Um, there'll be different conferences going on. You know, we'll, we know of Stand for Life. Some friends of ours are putting this conference on. I'll be there. Um, it'll be in January. It'll be right with the March for Life. And so and I, I think what you're saying is a really good point, though, there's still so much work to be done. This is not the end. It's a good beginning of um, promoting life in our culture. And and this gets into euthanasia. I mean, this gets into all, all parts of life. This gets into care for the poor. I mean, that we care about life, but it does start with life. <laughs> so we have to, as a culture, say, no, we value the youngest member of life. It's, it's hugely important. And I'm thankful it's it's something it's again just as much as i did not see russia invading ukraine this year i did not see roe v wade being overturned so yeah not before that leak yeah um yeah. which we still That's don't right. have any answers about yeah. but um it is pretty amazing that i didn't even list that one number one in fact it wasn't even in my top four yeah because of the magnitude of the international historic events in iran in china and especially um in ukraine yeah quite yeah. a year well that's the top 10 i yep. want to ask you a few questions just some other questions about things going on um gospel bound you have had a lot of interviews this year um 33 
total. Um, and so I want to ask, when you look back on this year, what were some of the interviews that really stood out to you? Um, or, and are there any upcoming that you can tell us about? But any from this past year that you really um, say, wow, that was a fun interview to do? Yeah, I I want to say a word to the listeners here. Um, you, you get to you get to listen in on some vulnerable, real moments, even these conversation with us right here. It's one of the reasons I love listening to podcasts. I I build a connection with um, with with the people that I'm listening to. So it's a friendship in a lot of ways is what it feels like. And I know that's Melissa how so many people have felt about let's talk. Um, that is a real friendship that you guys share and it's also one that that people feel like they're your friends as well and so I think about the way that so many of my interviews from this last year they don't just exist in some sort of world of content but they're real life Um, I did an interview with Bill and Will Kynes two very good friends of mine and a book that I've been looking forward to for a long time about Job um, Bill is a pastor who recently retired, and he writes about the homiletics, the preaching of Job. And then Will is a scholar here, one of my colleagues at um, Samford University in, in Alabama, and is an expert. He did his PhD um, at Cambridge on Job. And so, um, so that interview was really special. But what was amazing afterward, Melissa, is that you remember the, the horrible tale of the young mother who was abducted and killed in Memphis. Um, we know a lot of people who know that family, a lot of mutual friends. Um, well, it turned out that one of the listeners, a gospel bound, had shared that with the, with the husband. And he listened to that interview and actually set up a conversation with Bill and Will to talk with them just spiritually um, about what he was going through. Um, after his um, his wife and the mother of their children uh, had been abducted and killed, and so that was um, that was that was real. That was a moment. Um, another one. Uh, the best um, maybe the best article I read all year was from a, a an NBA basketball writer named Jonathan Charks, and um, and it was called "Does My Son Know You." And it was about his one in 20 million cancer diagnosis as a 35-year-old father, a 34-year-old father of a son who was born um, in 2020. And um, Jonathan did that interview with me, and then I asked him for a health update afterward. And he said, I I just found out, Colin, that it's done. I'm I'm going to die. Um, There's nothing left for them to do. And sure enough, within within months, he was dead. Um, so Jonathan, that was I don't know how many other interviews, if any, Jonathan had done, but that was um, one of the last interviews he did was with me talking about that amazing article. And really, Melissa, about the both of these are about the power of the church, the power of the gospel on display in the church. Because Jonathan came to faith um, as an adult, and he was ne- just never lost his joy over the gospel never lost his marvel at this thing called the church and so he wrote this amazing article about his own loss of his own father and how it meant so much to him when somebody would from his father's life would come to him 
and uh, and would just kind of fill that role and remind him of his father's love and you know things like that. Anyway, and that was Jonathan's challenge to the church: was Does my son know you? Will you be the father to my son that I can't be? And he fully expected that the church and this and his small group, especially in his church, would rise to that occasion. And I think then, Melissa, about our friend Anna Harris. Um, uh, she lost her husband with three young kids, and um, and as she and I talked a lot about this dynamic of these other men in their lives in their church, trying to fill that role. Well, she had recommended to me a book. It was at TGCW 22. I remember exactly where we were. She said, Colin, you must get the book, Everything Sad is Untrue, by Daniel Nahery. <laughs> and I said, okay. I've heard, I mean, if Anna tells me, and I've, you know, I'm going to read it. And it was one of the best books I can remember reading. Amazing story. And interviewing Daniel, one of the one of my uh, publishing geek highlights of my career was asking Daniel if he had rewritten this book Harper Lee style, if he had um, if he had recognized that he needed to write the book as a child. And sure enough, that is exactly what he'd done. He'd written the book before as an adult. It made no sense. He went back. He wrote it as a child, and it just became a classic. Um, Melissa, and and a lot of people don't know, Daniel was 20 years at Redeemer Presbyterian Church with Tim Keller, and the title, of course, comes from the conclusion of The Return of the King, uh, Sam seeing Gandalf, uh, who he thought was dead. And uh, people will see this, Melissa, in my book on Tim Keller. That was the scene that Tim Keller went to on September 14th, yeah, September, after September 11, 2001. Then and I asked Daniel. I said, Daniel, when did you get to New York? And he said, right before September 11th. He was there for that sermon. Um, so the uh, over the year, I mean, that so that the whole story, that whole book, that whole perspective, came was all connected um, to the work of that amazing church and and just the power of the gospel to be able to work miracles in the midst of bad uh, situations. So. So I'm looking forward in in, um, in 2023, so you guys are hearing this first, we're going to do a special abbreviated season of Gospel Bound. Um, I'm going to be doing a series of interviews, I've already recorded most of them, uh, with people who are related to the Timothy Keller book. So we're going to be talking about various influences on Tim. So we have Chris Watkin talking about biblical critical theory, uh, and essentially high high theory in general. Um, which Tim has been advocating for so much and is a big part of his life. We also have Rick Lentz talking about theological vision, Bill Edgar talking about apologetics, John Piper talking about the shared number one and number two influences, both him and that he and Tim both share, that they will share, Jonathan Edwards and C.S. Lewis. Uh, we'll also have James Eglinton and perhaps another surprise or two in there. So it's a, this is, it's a labor of love. Uh, this podcast, because the Lord does some, just some amazing things, um, you know, through the interviews and in the interviews, and it's a privilege to be a part of, and and I'm so sad that we're not going to have any more Let's Talk um, wrapped up um, at TGCW 22 this last year, and I know that you were surprised when uh, a little birdie informed you that one of your, that your most popular episode ever was from this season on When Friends Fall Away. 
Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Melissa? Why did that episode resonate so much with the with the large audience of Let's Talk? Yeah, I know. There's a side of me I need to get back and listen to it. Yeah, we record all those, and sometimes I'm like, what do we talk about? We honestly have real conversations, and so. Um, just like you don't remember sometimes all you discuss, but when I think about the topic and even when I texted Jackie and Jasmine to tell them, Hey, I just want y'all to know this was one of our most popular episodes. The most popular, Uh, the most popular. Yeah. Yeah. It was the most popular. And the sadness of why it's the most popular is because so many of us are dealing with people we love who have walked away from the faith. Um, And I think we're all trying to figure out what do we do? What does it mean when someone who we have loved dearly walks away from the faith? Well, yeah, it, it's unsettling. Um, it's incredibly unsettling because in some sense, it calls into question what we believe. Um, it's like we're staying and they're going and we're wondering why. And so I, I hope it was um, helpful and comforting in some sense, one that we all experience it. And again, this is one of those things in scripture that's there. You know, when Jesus tells the parable of the sower, he talks about some spring up for a moment, but because of the cares of the world, you know, they they fall away. I mean, he, he talks about these hard realities that are spiritual things, that there are leaders who fall away and that there are people who, who seem like they're initially receiving the gospel but then they fall away. Um, and and for me, I, I, I think the book of Hebrews does such a beautiful job of seeing that. And it keeps calling us to faithfulness. Don't be like that. So, I'm, uh, yeah, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm hopeful that we hear these stories and we say, dear Jesus, save me. Keep saying, you know, save me from such a day. Um, you know, to quote Twyla Paris, goodness, I am old. Um yeah, I remember a song she had. It was, yeah, you know, it was, um, you've got to know I'd rather lose my my life than my faith, basically was the summation that she she wanted. She so deeply desired a life of faithfulness um, that, you know, and, and it's even helpful to realize, you know, these thoughts, these, these things have been happening a long time. I think like everything else we've discussed, they're more highlighted as more public figures have a more public platform to speak their deconversion or they're walking away from the faith. Um, and so it, it, it feels like it's everywhere. Um, but I, I think the, the reality is we see a lot of people walking firmly with the Lord, coming to the Lord and joyful Absolutely. in the Lord. Yeah. And so that's, that's hopeful as well. But yeah, that was, that was the line that I think um, had the biggest impact definitely this year, but we had a great time having a few years and a few seasons of getting to chat around the table. Some of my favorite conversations um, to have. So they were actually in town this, the past few days. And there were a couple of times I looked at them. I was like, that would have been a great let's talk <laughs> conversation. But then we were all like, Oh, it's so nice to talk without being recorded <laughs> so to, to have the freedom to be like, do I want that story told to everyone in the world? Um, Maybe we'll get the uh, let's talk bonus edition. someday. <laughs> Exactly. 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 Um, well, we have also just had it's it's that time of year um, where all the book awards come out, um, which Ivan on our team does such an amazing job. I mean, we start what in August, maybe June, July. Yeah, six months essentially. Yeah. yeah. So Ivan yeah. Mesa, uh, editorial hero. 
Yeah, and we <laughs> put together ju- four judges for every category, um, outside judges, and the the lead judge takes on a lot of books to narrow down to four as we as we do these things. It's, it's I've noticed, lot. Melissa, you demoted yourself to I a judge in my category myself. instead of being the lead lead judge. Yes, yes. it was so nice to only be set four books this yeah. year rather than. 40 or whatever yeah. we, we sort through. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you think back to this year and just different books, is there a book you've read that really impacted you? Yeah, I can't wait for people to hear the interview with uh, Chris Watkin on biblical critical theory. Um, it is simply one of the best books I have ever read. It is 700 pages. Um, for those Colin, of you. Colin, your books need to come with a warning label. We've discussed this before. <laughs> As you got me to read Kristen Lavern's daughter, yeah. (laughs) His fiction book, Colin tells me to read, that comes and could basically be a doorstop for any any door in your house. But aren't you so grateful? Because what an amazing book it was. I am. But just when you take a book recommendation for Colin, make sure when you go to Amazon, check the page count. It's true. It's true. Melissa has suffered that fate. Um, You know, we, we did a review of this at the Gospel Coalition. And for those of you who might be want to catch the reference, we wrote uh, Christopher Watkin Against the Pagans. Um, Against the Pagans is the subtitle of City of God uh, by Augustine. And while no one could ever dare compare anything outside of Scripture to Augustine's City of God, um, there will be much more to come from me in the new year along the lines of mobilizing a generation of church leaders to be able to undertake that task that Augustine provided in his late Roman Empire age of bringing the gospel to bear on a rapidly transforming world with percep- perceptive insight that is, that is underneath where most people are looking. Uh, deeper insight of of the dramatic kind of assumptions of our time and of our age. And that is definitely what Chris Watkin does. That is a labor of decades. You don't just wake up someday and decide you want to write a book along those lines. Um, but the beautiful thing about the about a book is that but you and I can just grab a copy, sit down, and work through it and benefit from all of that amazing research. So that is a that is the book that stood out this year. It was a winner in our category um, of public theology, and deservedly so. And I think it'll be one that um, folks will be talking about for a, for a very long time. All right, yeah. Melissa, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting the way you just described that. I feel like I've been doing, my head has been in a lot of books. Um, I'm doing research for a book on parenting teenagers. And so I have been reading a lot of really um, almost secular voices with a lot of common grace insight on teenagers and just different ones. I mean, there's been the teenage brain, which is from a neuroscientist. She was the mother of two young boys and under her understanding of the brain greatly helped her understanding of teenagers. And she shares that um, I generation, which really talks about the effects of the iPhone and social media on teenagers, the price of privilege, which I read years ago, probably one of the best books on raising teens that I've read. Um, and another book, Rain. I mean, there's a list of them, but these books have really been 
um, on my mind a lot. You know, the collective weight of thinking through what's happening societally with the iPhone, with our teenagers, um, and how that's impacting our teens, but it's impacting our parenting. Um, you know, we see it everywhere we go. You go to a restaurant and you see everybody on their phones and not engaging with each other. And, you know, I was talking with some people about it. It's not like um, cell phones in and of themselves are the problem, but they're, they're, but they're, they're allowing certain societal things to change pretty rapidly, and we're seeing the impacts of it. So well, it's you, been pretty you, fascinating. You talk, you talk, Melissa, about how you're grateful that when your kids were little, you didn't have a phone. I'm so grateful. You just were not, were not tempted to that, and that's certainly a constant temptation for me, especially given the nature of our work. Yes. Um, but then also, um, I mean, it's a temptation for anybody today. And I just came across this probably while I was on my phone around my kids. Um, a reference, <laughs> a reference to the number one regret that teenagers have is that their their parents don't appear to be listening to them, mm. in part because their parents are just locked in on their phone. And paired with that, how frustrated they are by the things their parents say on social media. Interesting. Thought, wow, those are so some they're challenges. You don't yeah. think they're listening and they are. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 No, I think um, I think it's one of those temptations. I'm, I think about my own life. The reason I started gardening in my front yard was because I was outside and didn't want my kids you know, to get hit by a car. So I had to be outside and I got bored because I didn't have anything to do. Like now I would I know myself I would be on my cell phone. I'd be, re- I'd be like, this is great. I can watch them while I'm reading. But it actually, that's when I started gardening. And I think about what a joy that is for my brain to have a break and that we need a break from thinking and and just to be outside and maybe not be doing these things. And I, I look at teenagers, they really are reflections <laughs> of what's going on in the home. And so if we don't want them on their phones all the time, we probably need to monitor our usage. And it's just, it's just a... It's just a huge issue and difficult to navigate in these waters. I, I do think one day cell phones might come with a warning label like cigarettes. Yeah, I think we're living through a time where we just don't even know maybe what we're seeing, but the the reports coming out are pretty dramatic on the effects on check on out um, check out the check out Sarah Zalstra's mm-hmm. recorded podcast this year, Scrolling Alone. Yeah. And uh, one that, um, if it's not already out now, by the time you listen to this, will be soon. Uh, her new podcast and recorded called Gaming Alone yeah. about uh, yeah. young, about young, about young men. And Sarah's research basically got her off all social media. Um, yeah, it's true. And then she, of course, also did her book, Social Sanity in an Insta Age, uh, this year for the Gospel Coalition as well. So a lot of good resources to check out there. But yeah, she, she's gone completely. <laughs> now you, you're not going to find her there. Can't find her. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I read a chapter on discernment and social sanity. And I can't, you know, I think it's, it's like most things. You know, we have to figure out what level can we be engaged in, in that's healthy for our lives. And I think there's a, you know, there were, none of us are saying, Hey, go off completely. Like, cause we want you to read things on the internet since that's where we write them. <laughs> um, and we hope you'll listen to this podcast. Um, so we, we're, you know, I think there's a balance and we're trying to all figure that out as the avenues have changed um, for, for the ways that we 
the ways that we get news. Um, one other exciting thing we have coming up this year is TGC 23. It's a big deal. A conference in town. It's the first time we've done it in the fall. Um, so that's, that's a change. Normally we would be scrambling because it would be in April. It feels like so refreshing that it's far away in September. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the theme and what's going on and what you're excited about with that conference? That's a lot of what we've been talking about here. It's a, the theme is hope. Um, hope in a, in a time when it feels like we're wandering in a kind of wilderness. Um, and so we're going to be just exploring these beautiful Old Testament stories, these Exodus stories of of God's people being delivered despite themselves. Uh, so we've got um, got a great lineup of main speakers. We've got um, it's going to be a mix of kind of newer and older voices. People like John Piper, David Platt. We'll have JD Greer for the first time ever at a TGC event. Ligon Duncan will be back. Yep, JD will be there. And then also um, one of my favorites, Andrew Wilson, coming in from London. Uh, Andrew will be there not only to to give one of our plenary talks, and he's uh, written extremely well in the past, not only on Exodus but on biblical theology in general. And uh, so very excited about what they'll bring uh, to the table. But Andrew will also be featuring, doing a talk on his new book, 1776, which is an absolute treat. No doubt will be one of my favorite books of, of next year. Um, Do you know when it comes out? I think that's in the fall. I think it's okay. timed for our conference in the fall. Okay. So um, Andrew's given us a preview of that this last year at one of our council meetings at Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. But um, absolutely, just um, Andrew's one of the sharpest. Just check out his end-of-the-year reading list in case you doubt me. Um, but there'll also be what we're going to be changing this year is we're going to do micro-events. Most of our workshops are going to be sponsored one, two up to four hour events from our partners and so we have 19 different publishers schools and ministries that have partnered together to bring in just the best content we think of any conference out there their best teachers their best writers uh zondervan will be graciously sponsoring both me and chris watkin i'll be talking about my tim keller book uh, chris will be talking about biblical critical theory um, you guys are getting a preview of this because you'll be listening to this, Lord willing, in 2022 before we even have announced this whole uh, concept for 20 uh, for 23, which it'll it'll be out there depending on when you're listening to this um, before or after, but it'll be in in mid January when we announce all that. So, yeah, this has been this has been a massive effort throughout 2022 to pull off, and um, let's just give a little yay God out there to our good friend and colleague Ann Westray. <laughs> Uh, for her it's work. Pretty it's pretty exciting. To me, it's a beautiful reflection of everything we all hope TGC will be. You know, we have multiple seminaries from all over the country, different denominations, different publishers. Um, and it it really is what we all really believe in is to, to have a gathering of people, you know, who love Jesus and yet have different perspectives on things. So I yeah, think unified, unified in the gospel, but not uniform in exactly how we express that. That is what TGC has always been. It has always been yeah. a network of networks. And at a time when it feels like there is so so much fracturing, we think that this event is going to be an incredibly encouraging reminder of God's unifying work of the gospel. Yeah. So, so that's can, a can major we, highlight. 
Can we just say, by the way, so when you say, well, TGC thinks this, <laughs> can we just correct that a little bit? Because TGC Is it that easy, it. Melissa? Can we just declare it here in this podcast? Yes. Just Maybe say, they'll listen, Colin. Maybe they'll listen. <laughs> if they, it, uh, I'll, I'll clear this up once and for all. This is a <laughs> formal statement from the Gospel Coalition's Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief. Um, I'll say, if the Gospel Coalition says it in our foundation documents, in our confessional statement, in our theological vision for ministry, that is the Gospel Coalition. Um, beyond that, we have a wide variety of voices um, speaking to a wide variety of issues, doing our best to try to encourage the church and equip the church um, in in many different ways. But uh, yes, the only times we speak as an organization are in those foundation documents. So yes, yep. thanks for clarifying that, Melissa. Spend the rest of the time making everyone angry and upset in some way. <laughs> Except for you, our wonderful listeners in this podcast. (laughs) Transition to talking about how they can support us, Melissa. It's a perfect transition. Because this is what we do. We want to bring (laughs) family together. We we I actually love it. Bring bring the family together. But it's just like Thanksgiving. It's just it's it's kind of it's kind of a crazy it's kind of a crazy family. We got a lot of crazy uncles. And I actually believe more people believe in this. Then, then sometimes we we get to hear um, because I do think I talk to a lot of women who are like and a lot of men who love the good faith debates who love actually hearing that you know unity without uniformity that exact concept and that is what we we hope to just in a lot of ways celebrate that the gospel is good we need it and we are individuals walking together trying to obey Jesus in all the on the ways and so. Um, that's our hope. And we're here really trying to serve the church and provide resources that churches can't always do. Um, and so not as you think supplant, about, but support, yeah. not supplant, but support the church. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, we've all seen um, every church can't review all the books that come out. And that's why we have great Ivan. Yes. <laughs> Ivan the Great. I don't think you'd like me calling him Ivan the Great. Well, it's better than Ivan the Terrible, so we'll do yeah, fun. Yeah, that's true. Him. That's true. That's true. But, you know, <laughs> and um, it's exciting to get to see um, what – I think we have an insider view on what TGC is doing worldwide, too. We just had a we just had an all-staff call, and I left so encouraged um, by what's going on, not just in – America, but really um, all around the world. It's it's hard to believe um, how some of these articles can get in places that sometimes people can't get with the gospel. Um, and I find it so encouraging. Um, when you look back and when you think about TGC, um, what encourages you about the work we're doing? Well, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what people seem to notice would be some of the controversial articles, maybe because they like them, maybe because they hate them. Most of what we do is things like our full Bible commentary. Perhaps even by the end of this year, if not early next year, we will have a complete online free Bible commentary written by the best experts on those books of the Bible around the world. So you can go back to the archives of Nancy Guthrie's Help Me Teach the Bible podcast. You're preparing to teach a Bible study. You're doing it in a small group. 
let alone preaching a sermon, preaching a series, teaching through a book of the Bible. Now you've got you've got these interviews from Nancy there. You can pair it with these theological commentaries. Uh, shout out to Phil Thompson out there for his amazing work on them. And then combine them then with our dozens and dozens and dozens of theological essays that we've also produced out there on a wide variety of topics. This year, I remember I had a question about the fatherhood of God. Google, 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 you know, and boom, where do I end up? Top result, the Gospel Coalition theological essay on the fatherhood of God. And um, so that's that's a lot of what we actually do to serve church leaders. And by church leaders, we mean you're you're in a BSF study out there or you're just you're leading a small group from your church or you're you're trying to think of what you're homeschooling your kids or you're just trying to do family discipleship with your kids or yeah you're a professor or you're a a pastor or you're an elder in your church all of you are a church leader because you are responsible for caring for other people teaching them to obey everything that jesus has commanded so that's what we're trying to do is support you in that. And I'm especially excited this year about the work that we have on the commentaries and the essays. Uh, what about you, Melissa? Something that stands out that you're excited about? Yeah, actually, I mean, I have to say a lot of what I'm excited about is what you just talked about, because I always thought woman leading Bible study in a living room for 12 years. And, you know, you're not you don't have a book budget when you are that woman leading a little Bible study, you know, and commentaries are expensive. And so the fact that they are free on TGC, that you can come get them and get all these resources right there. It's pretty amazing to me. Yeah. I I tell people over and over, like, this is all here. It's, it's all free. Use it. You know, it's, it's hard to, um, the people, the individuals who wrote them, the fact that they're all allowed to be on our site, it's just pretty remarkable, I read, think. Well, read, yeah. through the, read through the Gospel of Matthew, and then you read through a commentary, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's an embedded 360-degree image of the Mount of Olives that you can see right there. <laughs> That's part of what the Internet allows you to do that you can't do in a book. Um, it's, a be- it's a beautiful thing. Not only that, but, of course, it goes places that the book can't go anyway. Yes, it's all here and it's free to you, yeah. the end user. And and I think also the worldwide things that are happening. I'm really, I really am excited about the Russian and Ukraine websites that have gone up this year. Um, what a, what a joy to think the words being written um, in many different places are going all over the world. Because in fact, we're also translating things from our other TGCs, to come on the American site. So we're, you know, we get to learn from Christians and other cultures and, and hear from different perspectives all over the world, um, even in the States. And so it's not just, it's not just articles from the States going out. Um, I think maybe people don't know that we're also receiving articles in that get translated um, for us from churches all around the world. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's kind of amazing. What you we have any you have any room left in any of your women's cohorts for twenty three, Melissa? Or you guys already sold all those out. Oh, we're full. We're <laughs> full. Completely full. All right, tune full. back in two thousand twenty four. We can do it in the fall. In the fall, we'll okay. have a sign up. We'll all have right. a sign up. So and this will be how to teach the Bible. What are, what are the cohort options? Okay. Yeah. Right. How to teach the Bible. So. Okay. 
Well, those are um, there is a there is a fee that comes with those, but again, what you get from those is absolutely tremendous. Um, I think about my my we we changed churches this year. My wife is now in women's ministry, and the thought of her being able to participate in something like a like a women's cohort on how to teach the Bible that is uh, money well spent, whether it's from my church um, leaders or. Or from us as a family, simply to invest in her, her developing abilities as a teacher of God's word. So, well, look at this point. If you are still listening to us, then you are definitely the kind of person who wants to support TGC financially. <laughs> um, everything that we're talking about here, the fact that we're able to just have this conversation, is thanks to you, thanks to your generous support in obedience to God's God's call of generosity to support us in this work so that we can support you and so we can support other church leaders we can go out there and we can find the best material the best resources we can direct you to the best books whatever to be able to help you to grow in your walk with the lord so a few different ways some calls to action of how you can support us you can become a monthly giver to tgc just go to tgc.org slash give Got a special benefit to everybody here listening to this episode of Gospel Bound with special guest Melissa Kruger of Let's Talk. You sign up for $25 per month or more, and we will send you copies of my book, Gospel Bound, written with Sarah Zalstra, and also Melissa's book, Growing Together. So $25 a month, sign up to do that. We'll send you copies of both of those books, gratefully. Second, you can also give a one-time gift. Um, we would love that. We could use that support. And there's another way you can support us. You don't have to give us any money to do this one. Just subscribe. You can still do this with Let's Talk because that material is going to be useful to people um, around the world for years to come. You can support our podcast. Subscribe to them. Leave a late, uh, rating and a review. Uh, all this helps more people to who are searching for hope in this wilderness of this fallen world to find gospel-centered resources like the interviews we do at Gospelbound and the conversations at Let's Talk. So a few different ways that uh, folks can support us. And, and hey, look, you drop us a line about an interview that you enjoyed or a conversation you enjoyed. It's a great encouragement. Also, you know at Gospelbound, I love to get recommendations. So be the kind of person who gives me those great book recommendations so I can do great interviews with, with the authors. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And we thank you. We really do. Yes. Thank um, you. It is a joy to get to do what we do. Um, and we're thankful to get to do it. So one thing we always do on Let's Talk is we share a favorite things. So my question for you, since it's Christmas, um, do you all have a favorite family tradition you enjoy? Oh, man. Well, you know, this year, this year, it was simply the kids, like when we said we didn't, we didn't know if we were going to decorate the tree that night. <laughs> they just started crying, <laughs> which I'm kind of noticing they just do all the time if they don't get what they want now. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. They've trained but it's you. Working. It's working. Really well. You know, we, we do this tickle fight thing where I run around the house and I tickle my kids and, and I and I told them, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. And then they just started crying. <laughs> so we, but it didn't seem to be manipulative or at least it was very effective um, if it was. But uh, so bottom line, it's just we, we have the music, we go pick out the tree, which was very expensive this year. And we, uh, and we decorated. And, but that's one of those things as a father where, 
I don't care how much it costs because of what it means to the kids. And now they've got all the little ornaments that they've made in school with their pictures on them. And and they love to see them. And they love to bring them out. And they love them. So I guess what I'm saying, Melissa, is I like as they're getting older, they have a sense of traditions. Yeah. yeah. uh, Which is really cool. It really is sweet. And what's um, cute is how they become six years old again, even when they're 22, when you start decorating the tree. Like the excitement's still there and you get to see and remember. It's really, it's really the best thing. Yeah. That's great. Well, what about a book? Favorite book? That you want yeah, to talk you're about? Gonna laugh that yeah, you're going to laugh. My favorite book of the year was Hannah Coulter. I can't yeah. believe I hadn't read it. Finally. Like, had, had you not read it yet? Finally. And I kind of had put it off. Yeah, because everybody tells you books are good. Sometimes you're like, because everybody's telling me it's good, I'm not going to really like it. I loved it. I mean, I was weeping at the end. That's a mom and, book right there. I mean, that's it, for anybody, but that is a mom book. It was. Yeah, and it just book. was, you know, the themes of aging and yep. watching life go by and oh, it was beautiful it was beautiful great. so i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it yeah well you got i mean i i gotta give a shout out i didn't get to mention this earlier but um i can't recall melissa have you read hillary mantel's thomas cromwell series no all right that's your assignment then for 2023 you got to read it uh we lost hillary mantel this year sadly she died um but the my gosh one of the most amazing reads of my life the mirror and the light the conclusion of the thomas cromwell series this is historical fiction so you know we're not we're not exactly you're not exactly surprised by what happens yeah. so volume one <laughs> volume like one the chosen. It, it, it's the chosen it's the chosen was like i already know the ending why should i start? uh well see so, yeah so end the first book um very long but the first book ends with the execution of, of thomas more and then the second book ends with the much shorter execution of anne boleyn and the third ends with the execution of thomas cromwell and um happy topics Colin like <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I, I am not alone sometimes my my book recommendations will be a little bit off the wall but when your first two books in the series you know, I, been in tragedy you I'm, should, I'm an inner Russian but not yeah. of one of the invading types um, let's That's just be true. clear yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the literary Russians yeah the literary Russians not the not the not they get sent to the front they're the ones to Siberia. Yeah, they got sent to Siberia, <laughs> yeah. not to the front. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, I mean, it is the first two books both won the Booker Prize in fiction, like the top award in fiction. So I think I'm on pretty good ground here. And the third one, I will say, as a character exploration, it is definitely on or surpassed the level of of Kristen Laverne's daughter that we mentioned earlier, Sigurd Unset's um, classic three-volume uh a series, but uh, Thomas Cromwell. For <laughs> you'll appreciate this, Melissa. I, I think I have never identified with a literary historical character the way I have with Thomas Cromwell. Which now, for any of you who have actually read the series, has given you very serious doubts about me. But uh, it is. Um, I do think that's the central theme of the series. Is it's so real precisely because he is a complex character. You cannot tell exactly what 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 does he believe. I mean, I think at his core, he is deeply convicted. He is a deeply convicted Protestant evangelical Christian, but he lives at in a hyper political. He works in a hyper political time 
and situation that no one um, could successfully navigate. Just witness all the wives of Henry VIII. And so he plays a significant role in that. But I've just, um, I mean, I think it's more, it's less about me. It's more about credit to Hillary Mantel for making this historical figure come alive in the most remarkable of ways. Probably also because I'm getting ready to spend five weeks in Europe uh, this summer, literally living in for four weeks in Cambridge in the same house you lived in. I am. I need to go back and read Envy of Eve because I'm going to be struggling with severe covetous tendencies. (laughs) That's true. You wrote that book on Envy while you were in that house. Actually, that's true. I didn't even (laughs) put that together. But no, you're staying in. He'll be at Tyndall House and gets to stay at Hawthorne House, which is the most lovely British home in Cambridge and get to walk the cam and go to places that are just delightful to to go i'm, I'm so excited for y'all i'm so, so excited a lot to look forward to in 2023 a lot to be yeah. thankful for as we look back in 2022 thank you for listening to gospel bound thank you for years of support of let's talk thank you for encouraging us in our comments we've received many of them in person at our conferences speaking around the country your comments that you leave on the podcast and just share with us um, uh, through the website. Uh, again, we'd love for you to help other people to find those podcasts through rating and reviewing them. We welcome you to become a monthly donor of TGC. $25 or more will send you those books. TGC.org slash give. And we'll just conclude with a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, wherever you're listening uh, to this podcast. We look forward to joining you again next year. And uh, while you're washing the dishes or commuting or working out or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Bound. For more interviews and to sign up for my newsletter, head over to tgc.org slash gospelbound. Rate and review Gospel Bound on your favorite podcast platform so others can join the conversation. Until next time, remember, when we're bound to the gospel, we abound in hope. Thank you.